Hopkins Church. And uh, we are a church that goes beyond the walls. And that's why our MIT is here, Missional Initiatives team. They are here to remind us of that every single week. I see another one over here. Tim's on Missional Initiatives team too. If you're on the MIT team, raise your hand. Keep your hand raised. We have anybody? We got Nora's back there. We got a couple others. Lori's out of town right now. We got a couple other folks. They'd love to have you join and be a part of this team that just keeps us mindful of being a church beyond the walls. Whether it's LifeWise Academy and bringing the Word of God back into schools, we have opportunities to bless young people after home football games. Uh, we've got uh, um, um, Christ's Table. You can go there and serve a meal anytime, and we go there a couple times a year, and you can go there at any other time. We've got the Super Bowl coming up. You know, friends, these are all opportunities for us to live beyond ourselves, live beyond our church walls, and bless others. Well, we're starting a new sermon series, and uh, this is the sermon series graphic, When Times Are Tough. And I just want to ask you, everybody in the house today, everybody watching online, can you relate to this guy at all in this moment? Now, let me just describe what's going on in this guy's life right now. He's got his fiscal life right in front of him, his money, all of his financial concerns, money concerns, the economy, all that's going on in our world. And it feels like an uphill battle. Can anybody relate to that? Okay. Now, also, at any given moment, what I really realized when I looked at this graphic is that it looks like at any given moment, his money could roll back on him and crush him and take him out at any given moment. Can anybody relate to that kind of feeling and concern that money's just a, kind of about to overtake your life, the worries and the concerns about money? A few people out there. That's great. So for a few people, this sermon series is going to be really, really helpful. No, in all cases, friends, we have got to figure this out because we find ourselves in troubling times. You ever find yourself having a conversation with somebody, a friend or a loved one, and you look at them and say, hey, listen, what do you need? How can I bless you? What do you need these days? And you ever have somebody say, hey, I could use a million dollars? Just kind of in passing and fun and in jest and having that kind of conversation with somebody. And I hear that frequently from folk when I'm asking them about it. Hey, I could use a million dollars. And friends, that's kind of the answer that we have in our life for our challenges is that we have money on our mind, money in our heart, and oftentimes we think if we had more money, it would be the solution to almost every problem in our life. And we find ourselves in difficult and challenging times, friends. So if you put that all together, we've got to figure out how to get our fiscal lives right because when times are tough, the margin for error shrinks. And when times are tough, we have got to figure out how to get this right. I mean, there's supply chain issues, lack of workers, inflation. My Twinkies, they've just gone through the roof and how much those things cost. I mean, a loaf of bread, you walk into, the, uh, you know, get a gallon of milk. I don't even like to go to the grocery store anymore, friends, because I just, your pastor, even for me, I just don't like who I am when I'm there because, you know, Isabel's with me or Elizabeth's with me, and I'm just not a good witness to the faith of, and the blessings of God because all I do is complain about how much this costs and how much it used to cost and how expensive this is and making jokes at the register when we're checking out and, you know, got to get a second job and all that kind of stuff, and it stresses me out and probably stressing my kids out even though they do a good job of putting up with that. I just don't even like to go to the grocery store anymore because these times they just feel so strange, rising gas prices, inflation, friends, and now I just understand that um, if you're in the housing market right now, I guess the average interest rate has jumped to like 7, 8, 9%. That's what I'm hearing. These are challenging times. And so, friends, in these moments, we need some help. And the question is, is that when times are tough, when the margin for error is shrinking in our fiscal lives, and we've got to get this right, 
Where does my help come from? Where do we turn for help? Well, I love this next scripture verse from Psalm chapter 1 because God's going to answer that for us. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Now, if you want to use the good King James English, it would say, oh, I lift mine eyes up to the mountains. Someone's going to start preaching here any second now. I mean, someone's going to give an amen. I'm going to lift mine eyes to the hills or to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You ever, you ever just ask that question sometimes? You're looking at the mountain standing in front of you. You're staring at a mountain of debt. You're staring at a mountain of financial fears. You're staring at a mountain of a broken marriage or a mountain of health, health crisis and issues or frustrations. And you're staring at this mountain. Your eyes see the mountain and you're just crying out, where does my help come from? And God through King David, answers that question for you and me today, friends. And we're going to raise a hand. Everybody raise a hand because we're going to testify out loud. My, and we're going to say this together. Verse 2, ready? One, two, three. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who's got an amen today, friends? Amen. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The guy who's got everything in his hands. The guy who is aware of all my problems. Friends, when times get tough, we don't turn to the world. And we certainly don't turn to fear, and we don't turn to our own power and strength because quite oftentimes we're in trouble because our own power and strength got us there. And we think the solution is to turn to the people that are source of the problems. And, and nine times out of ten, the problems of this world is, is your fault and my fault. And therefore, we can't be the solution. Somebody bigger than us has got to be the solution. And so we're turning to God. We're going to turn to the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord our God. We're going to seek his wisdom. We're going to seek his strength. We're going to see the power, seek the power of his incredible uh, provision because we live in a consumer-driven culture. We live in this rat race of a society where we just race and run and run and run to accumulate as much as we can, as, as much money, as much possessions as we can. And to answer the question, how much is enough? If somebody asks you to write down the number of how much is enough, you know what's funny? We'd write that number down, and when we got there, that'd get scratched out, and there'd be another number, because it's never enough. And we live in this culture and society that's always chasing what could be enough financially. And it's easy for money, then, to become an idol to the point where we answer, hey, what do you need in your life? How can I bless you? Hey, you got a million bucks. That, that becomes our first answer because it's always on our mind. And in 1 Timothy, the Bible says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, that describes just about every American and human being on the earth. Every, every, every person that's eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want to, to, to share something with you. All around this idea of money, money is not inherently bad. It's God's gift to us. It's what he uses to bless us with resources and to care for our families and, and to be able to provide for our loved ones and, 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 and to be able to live for him and to bless him and his kingdom with it. It's not, it's not bad. It is the love of money. It's turning money into an idol that leads to all kinds of problems. And you say, well, what kind of problems? Well, look at these, these two verses. Look at all the negative words that are associated with the love of money. You've got uh, those who get rich fall into temptation. It's a trap. It's many foolish and harmful, uh, harmful desires. It plunges people into the ruin and destruction. It's the root of all kinds of evil. People that are eager for money have wandered from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. There's a lot of negativity in this verse around getting money wrong. When we get money wrong in our life, it leads to all kinds of destruction. Now, I want to tell you, you say, well, thank God I'm a Christian. I go to church. I love Jesus. So I've got no challenges, temptations, or sin when it comes to money. 
Wrong. Wrong. He's writing to believers. Well, Pastor John, how do you know he's writing to believers? He says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, if you're going to wander from the faith, you got to have it first. And he's talking to people of faith. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to churchgoers. He's talking to people who claim Jesus with their lips, but oftentimes struggle when it comes to living for that same God that we claim with our mouth. He's saying, Many people of faith, many Christians, many Christ followers, many churchgoers have wandered from that faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, many Christians worship money and we don't even know it. And God wants to expose that in our hearts. You see, the enemy wants you living with the love of money in your life. He wants you to have money as an idol in your life so he can pull you away from all that God desires for you. And and he can bring grief and ruin into your life because you think that money is your number one provider rather than God himself. And in this struggling consumer culture, we have a consumer culture that's struggling. And when you put that together, oh, it creates an absolute opportunity for disaster in our lives. We've got to get this right. In this struggling consumer culture with the fear of lack, it's hard to find a healthy perspective for our fiscal life. I mean, Best Buy and Walmart and Target and, and Amazon and eBay, they all have a plan for all you, how you ought to, ought to handle your money. And guess what that plan is? Spend, spend, spend. The, the easy way for people to help you handle your money is for you to just give it to them. That, that, that's the way that, that our culture works. Hey, you got money problems? Just spend more. You will take your money. That's great. And it's just that cultural phenomenon that just we just chase and chase and chase after it. But friends, since Jesus is the one that talks about money more than any other topic, including love, heaven, and hell itself, uh, we're going to apply Jesus' teachings to our everyday life uh, with, with, with the help of a couple of people. Uh, with the help of John Wesley and his, his brother Charles Wesley, the, the founding uh, fathers of, of United Methodism, we're going to look to John Wesley, and we're going to look at his three fiscal rules. Now, John Wesley uh, is somebody that we say we are good Wesleyan Methodists. He founded the, the Methodist movement. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But John Wesley, uh, had a, he, had a, he had three simple rules that you live by in your life. Uh, do no harm. Do all the good you can. Stay in love with God. Okay? But then he got some very specific rules when it comes to how we handle our finances and our fiscal life. He would say, earn all you can, save all you can, so you can give all you can. And that statement is going to guide us in this next month of teaching around when times are tough. We're going to learn how to gain all we can, uh, or earn, earn all we can, save all we can, so that we can give all we can. And today we're talking about earning all that we can. We're looking at the biblical principles on earning money. Now, money calls to us, and money wants us to chase after it. It says, catch me, catch me if you can. And so many Christians and Christ followers are chasing money like a dangling carrot. You know, remember the dangling carrot? You ever seen those in the cartoons? There's a carrot in front of a stick strapped to the guy's head, and it's just dangling out in front of it, and you're trying to reach for it, and the faster you run after it, the faster it goes out in front of you, and you can never really get to it. You run after it, but you never get any closer to capturing it, and just when you think you're about to catch it, just when you think you're about to win, just when you think that you feel like things have arrived, it escapes your grasp yet again, and you keep chasing after it. Friends, there is always more to chase, and the pursuit of money is endless, and it is exhausting, and it leads to emptiness and disappointment. And the grief that Paul talks about, 
the grief that Paul talks about is a, real, is a result of all the expended energy that we have running after a destination that we're never going to be able to reach. Now, who does that preach to here today, friends? How about every single one of us? Every single one of us. We need to, we need to hear this almost on a yearly basis. That's why we have a sermon series on money almost every October, because we've got to remember these principles. You see, God invites you to a better way of working. He invites you to a better way of living. And so if he does that, we know he's going to invite us to a better way of working. You see, rather than relentless work, chasing carrots and chasing more money, we will focus on purposeful work through serving God in that work. You see, both of those attitudes involve work, but the pace and the pursuit and the posture of the heart is different. Both ways result in income, but God's way does not come at the expense of the people and the things that matter the most in our life or the most important things in our life. You see, money itself is not evil, and work is a good thing, but the drive in our culture to spend, spend, spend can allow our work to turn into becoming an idol in our life. You see, in making it become that, that becomes something that we devote all our time and energy to. We devote all of our time and energy to making more money and earning more money. And this kind of idolatry can lead to workaholism. It can lead to gambling addictions. It can lead to, to us putting our value and our worth in money rather than God. It can lead to cutting corners in our relationships and dealings with other people. And Paul says, hey, that's why it leads to all kinds of grief. Worshiping money, loving money, making money an idol in our life, it leads to all kinds of grief. So back to John Wesley. Um, now, John Wesley, as I mentioned, was the founder of United, a founder of Methodism. Founder of Methodism. It began in 1784. And so Methodism and Wesleyan Methodism has been around for 234 years, if I do the math, right? 234 years. And in that 234 years, uh, Rolling Plains has been alive and well for 151 of those years. Praise be to God. We just celebrated our 150th anniversary. Is there like a term for 150? Like, I know quadrennium is four years, and what do you, what do you call 150? I don't know. What's that? Sesqui? Sesquintennial. So it's our sesquintennial, right? Am I getting that right? Sesquintennial anniversary. 150 years, friends. 150 years of Wesleyan Methodism. Somebody, some of you didn't realize this. We today are a United Methodist Church, but we have not been a United Methodist Church until 1968. We have always been a Wesleyan Methodist Church. You see, before 1968, we were evangelical Methodists, right? But we still held on to our Methodist roots. We held on to our understanding of how John Wesley interprets the scriptures for us. So friends, we get ourselves all worked up about the name in front of Methodist. What matters is, is that we hold on to our Methodist roots, whether it's evangelical or united or global. What matters is, is that we continue to maintain our Methodist roots. And when we get askew, when the name in front of Methodism begins to lead us askew from those values, then it's time to find another name in front of the word Methodist so that we can continue down our Methodist roots. And so John Wesley, uh, from his sermon called The Use of Money, I also want to give credit to a colleague of mine, Rosario Picardo. He wrote a book called Money Talks, 
Uh, he actually serves in the Dayton area, my old stomping ground. He's a friend of mine and has been a great resource towards carving out this sermon series alongside of John Wesley. Kind of, he kind of took me back to being reminded of Wesley's teachings around money and finance. I want to give them both credit as we guide each other through this sermon series and these specific four points of Wesley's sermon. Yes, this is going to be straight out of Wesley's sermon called The Use of Money. Here are his four points. Four guidelines for earning all you can. That's what it's called. Number one, earn all you can by honest industry using all possible diligence in your calling. Now, if I didn't tell you that, that uh, that's a credit to Wesley, you would have been saying, hey, Pastor John, it sounds like you're preaching a sentence from a couple hundred years ago. Well, yeah, this sermon was written a couple hundred years ago. Yeah, right? So he says, earn all you can by honest industry using all possible diligence in your calling. So the question is, friends, what is God calling you to do? And what he's calling you to do, you do it in all possible diligence and honor God in the process. You see, what does work mean for the Lord? Now, we think in order to work for the Lord, we have to become a pastor or a full-time missionary or a vocational full-time ministry somewhere. But God calls some of us to vocational ministry. God calls some of us to being a full-time pastor or full-time missionary or children's ministry worker or whatever it might be. But for most of us, our calling is to serve him in our passion and our vocation right where we are. So in other words, some of us feel called to education, and we're educators. And, and whether or not we work in the cafeteria or we drive a bus or we're the janitor or we find ourselves leading a class or an administrator, the educator has the chance while they're living their vocation of educating to show the love of Jesus in their attitude and actions. How about a hospital worker? Got a lot of hospital workers in our congregation. The hospital worker who does that for a vocation has the opportunity when they help and, and bring healing into other people's lives, they have the opportunity to give God the credit and give God the glory. The factory worker that acts, the, the, the factory worker that can act a little bit differently than their coworkers, and when they're asked, asked why, why they live differently or their attitude's different, they can, they can just point to Jesus Christ and, and, and give him all the credit. You see, the stylist that does hair or nails or whatever it might be, the stylist that listens to their client, share about their life, talking about their challenges and their problems. And when their, the appointment is done, they, they offer to pray with them. And they, and they pray for their needs, and they take it to God and Jesus Christ, and they do that together in that moment. You see, friends, some are called to be pastors for a vocation, but everybody is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your calling may be your vocation, but your calling is to be Jesus to people wherever your office is. And friends, if we had it written on the inside of the wall on the way out, it, it should read on, on, the, on, the, on the, uh, the going out portion of our doors. Above. John Wesley would say, you are now entering your mission field. You are now entering your mission field. Why? Because everywhere you go, God wants to use you as a minister of the gospel. So if you're going to work, we might as well work unto the Lord. That's what John Wesley's reminding of. Earn all you can by honest industry, using all possible diligence in your calling to be a minister of the gospel and be a candle maker, to be a minister of the gospel and maybe work for Google, or, or be a minister of the gospel and work for an insurance company, or be a minister of the gospel and sell houses, be a minister of the gospel and, and, and be an auto, uh, uh, work on, on cars or sell, sell vehicles. Whatever it is you do, uh, be, be a minister of the gospel and do all of that with all of your might for him. Secondly. Earn all you can without paying more for it than it is worth. Friends, this is more than 200 years worth of wisdom, and I'm ready to lean in. How about you? 
And when I saw that on the page, it just jumped out at me. And it says, earn all you can without paying, for more, without paying more for it than what it is worth. Friends, there are just simply things in life that are far more important than money. But we don't live like it. We don't live like it. We sacrifice everything often to get more money, don't we? Now, let's just name one of those. What are things that are more important than money? How about your health? How about your health and the health of your family members, friends? There are jobs and careers out there that can take a toll on your physical and mental health over time. Friends, I work in one of those industries. I work in one of those places where the full-time Christian minister is, is extremely stressful. It is extremely weighty. The burdens that we carry, the struggles, the mental battles, the, 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 the spiritual attacks from the enemy, it is a challenge, and it is not meant for everyone. And God bless those kindergarten teachers out there. That job ain't meant for me either. Can I get an amen for somebody? I mean, you working with my kids all day long, you blessing in public schools, some of you hospital workers that are wiping up God knows what on the floor after you're done blessing somebody, it ain't for me. So we praise God for our vocation, and we don't get jealous over somebody else's vocation because we're going to earn all that we can without paying for it more than what it is worth. And friends, some of us are able to handle certain jobs and remain healthy doing it. And so you pray for my health as I remain in this vocation. I'll pray for your health while you remain in the vocation that you're in because we need each other. And so while others may, uh, so, so again, let me go back to saying this. Some are able to handle certain jobs and remain healthy doing so, while others may need to make career changes. And maybe that might be you because workaholism can quickly take your health and the very relationships you're working to provide for. You know, we're working all these hours. We're focusing on making as much money as we can for our loved ones when that is destroying us in being able to better love our loved ones and sometimes destroying our loved ones. It becomes an idol because the thrill of making money or the rush of closing the deal or the feeling of being needed all give a false sense of fulfillment that leads to throwing ourselves at our work even more and more so. But friends, God did not design you to work 24-7 God designed you to be able to take a rest. I, I, I remember a preacher preaching on this back in August, right? Preaching about the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. We are not meant for a 24-7 lifestyle. God wants us to take uh, six days worth of work and find a day of rest. You see, friends, it's a stop day. It's a why am I working day. It's a who am I working for day that reminds us of our purpose and our vocation. It's hard to turn down the incentive of overtime. It's hard to turn down the incentives of bonuses and promotions. But in an effort to earn more, we can actually cut out and cut at the things in our life that matters the most. And we can cut those things short, like sleep, like family time, like our health, mind, body, soul, and spirit health, like our Sabbath, like our relationship with God. Friends, we need a godly balance. So let me take you back to August and remind you of Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, the Bible says. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And I want to ask you a question. On the seventh day, did God have more work he could do? You better believe he did. Because we, we listen, in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, we know that God is always at work. He's always at work in your life. He's always at work in my, my life. Here's God resting. The audacity of God taking a break is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of power that he is able to abstain from what still needs to be done. Now, friends, I think that preaches to you and to me here today. 
So Wesley would say, earn all you can without paying more for it than it is worth. Number three, earn all you can, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Earn all you can, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Uh, The command to love your neighbor as you love yourself extends to how you treat your neighbor through your work and through your fiscal acquisitions, through how you earn money. We can't experience the fullness of God through selfishness and self-preservation, which is where we find ourselves in our culture today. You see, money can become a point of tension and actually impede the relationships that we have with others. And God calls us to something that Wesley called social holiness. It's the way that we interact with each other and care for other people's needs that we need to do with a holy attitude, with the righteousness of God, with God himself, the character of God. We are a social holiness people. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy. The Bible says, do not have two different weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large or one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He goes on to say, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, who deals dishonestly. Now, do you want to be under the detest of God? I know I don't. And he gives it very plainly here, who deals dishonestly. Now we go back and say, well, thank goodness my neighbor's just the person living next door to me so I can treat the people at work in any way I want to. Wrong. Wrong, right? Our neighbor is not just the person that lives next door to us. It is everyone we encounter everywhere we go. Yes, your neighbor is driving that car that just cut you off in traffic. Yes, your neighbor is the one that's in the checkout line that says 12 items or less, and you counted 15 items in their cart. I know you do this. I know you... I know you're counting the cart and the items in front of you. I know, I know you because it's a human tendency. Yes, your neighbor is a person at the office that drives you crazy or your boss. Everybody, everywhere you go is your neighbor, and we are not to cheat, take advantage of somebody for personal gain. And while there are gray areas that are acceptable in the business world, in, in, in corporate America, friends, there are no gray areas when it comes to how we treat people. There are no gray areas to what the Bible says on how we are to conduct ourselves underneath the authority and the love of God in Jesus Christ. We live according to the directive of God's word, not the direction of this world. And when we honor God by honoring other people, it's amazing how God's blessings just flow. But the challenge is is that the allure and the pull of money and the allure and the pull of this world and and worldliness says that you need more success and you need more wealth. You need to be able to make a name for yourself. But God tells us to live for an audience of one. Do you feel the tension there? We're to live for an audience of one in God and Jesus Christ, but our world is preaching an entirely different gospel where it says money and possessions exist so you can keep up with the Joneses. The only problem with that attitude is we're stepping on the Joneses to get to that vision. And God says that's not the way that we're called to live. And when we live that way, when we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, it never fulfills, it never leads to lasting happiness. It's that dangling carrot in front of us. So the question is, when you die, will what you built have any lasting eternal value? Or did you spend your life trying to get ahead and stepping over people and on people to serve yourself for the love and the pursuit of the money that you so desperately feel like you need, that, that million dollars that will solve all of our problems? And in doing so, we wind up piercing ourselves with many griefs, and we wind up piercing other people around us with many griefs. So we got to keep in mind, friends, we got to keep in mind uh, uh, that, that um, 
uh, of what people might say. Uh, we got to keep the end in mind. We got to keep the, the, the end goal in mind, and that is what will people say at our, our funeral? What will they remember about you? Uh, what, 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 did, what, what did you point people to? Did you point people to Jesus? Did you prop him up in your dealings? Or did you make a name for yourself and squander the resources that God has given you? So earn all you can, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Here's the fourth and final one from Wesley. Earn all you can, but not at the expense of your mind. Earn all you can, but not at the expense of your mind. You see, a Christian's conscience is bound by the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts, guiding us, and that includes our fiscal life. And when you ask for God's wisdom, he's not going to hold back. But when you go against God's teaching and act on your own accord, it's hard to find peace when our tactics are impure. You see, making more money can actually weigh us down and become a burden. That's actually what I say to people when I, when I say, hey, how are you doing, man? What do you need in life? You doing okay? He says, I could use a million dollars. And I say, mm, yeah, you don't want that kind of burden. Really? How many, how many of you could honestly respond, no, I don't really need that kind of burden? Friends, it's biblical. The more money you have, oftentimes the more trouble that you have. The more money you have, the more the struggle is real. The more that you have, the harder it is to give it away. The more that you have, the harder it is to treat people decently as you hold on to what you have. Friends, think about it for a second. We know this to be true. We see it with people that make millions and millions of dollars every year that are tripping up all over themselves. Making more money actually is a weight that can weigh us down and it can become a burden. There's nothing wrong with money, but it becomes a love and an idol and it can lead to little, little white lies on the paper that snowball into bigger deals in our mind. You know, it could start off with being dishonest when we file our taxes. I mean, I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking to other churches here. I mean, none of us, none of us ever struggle with that. So thank goodness. You just ignore that one, right? It's dishonest when filing our taxes or fudging our hours at work or selling cars without disclosing what is wrong with it. I had a I had an, an Impala, um, Chevy Impala. No, it wasn't a Chevy Impala. Was it Impala? Yeah, it was an Impala 2004 incredible engine. The 3800 series Chevy V8 is an incredible engine, but they're known for transmission problems. Now, by the time that uh, Tana was done with this car, and, and I, I grabbed a hold of it because we paid most of the bills for it to have it, she, but she got a great insurance check because if you remember this car, you guys remember this car? The, the, the hood on the car flew up and smashed against the windshield when she was driving it down the road, and thank goodness the Lord uh, blessed her with, with uh, safety but also blessed her with an incredible insurance check that covered more than the value of the car, and they let us keep the car. So you know what a good, a good South Zanesville resident like me did. I took a hammer, and I beat that hood into submission, and I smashed it down till it locked and cracked windshield and rushed it out bottom and a, and a ground effect that was gone and duct tape on the fender. I'm driving that thing. You want to know why? Because the air conditioning still worked. Praise be to God. The, the AC still worked. That car was a jalopy. I mean, it, it was a it was a straight up hoopty, but it was paid for. I mean, it it was it was, but it got me from point A to point B. I didn't care about any kind of image. I loved the duct tape on the front. It was a character builder. Rust on the side, half the car missing on one side, the whole car on the other side. It was great. I loved that car. I loved that car. It, where am I going with this? <laughs> But, but no, I remember when I went to sell that car, and I put, I put $1,000 on it because it, it was a running car and because of the market. And I'll never forget this young lady that came to the house. It was gone within like two days. This, a couple people asked about it. This lady, she came, young lady came to the house, and she said, she said well, you know, what is all, all is wrong with the car? I said, I can tell you this much. It will get you to point A to point B, and the air conditioning still works, and it's a comfortable ride. But when you look at it, it looks like a broken-down mess. 
Now, what had happened is, is that the transmission started slipping on it, but you didn't notice the transmission slipping on it until the car warmed up, until the car warmed up. So anybody test driving that car would have no idea that there's a pending transmission issue with it, which is the ultimate reason, the only reason I was getting rid of it and to step into something else. And so I said to her, but I want you to know when it warms up that the, the transmission is slipping when you go into second gear, but all I do is pull off to the side of the road, turn the car off, turn it back on, and the transmission runs good for the next 20 minutes. And she said to me, I thought that was gonna, I thought that was gonna seal the deal. She was gonna be out of there. And, and she, she said, mister, she said, I'm just so glad to find a car with four tires on it and an engine, and that runs, because most of the cars that I'm looking at for $1,000, they're sitting in a field with grass growing up through the engine, and they're not even running. She says, I'll take it. And I can't tell you the, the, the peace that came over me to, to, to make sure that I shared every single detail about that car with her in, in, in that moment and, and to be able to share that with her. And so, so what kind of price can we put on a clear conscience? It's hard to find peace when our tactics are impure or making more, of, uh, uh, or making more money that actually weighs us down. You see, when we're dishonest with filing taxes, fudging hours at work, selling cars, uh, not disclosing what's wrong with it, no amount of money is worth our integrity. No amount of money is worth the peace of mind. How we live matters, especially in tough times when everyone is in self-preservation mode. That's when integrity matters the most. That's when integrity is tested and the love of others shines the most when we treat each other in a way that nobody else is treating each other. There's a way to work for God, a way to earn money without chasing it like our consumer-driven culture is. Friends, the secret is the posture of your heart. The secret is the posture of your heart. Being content in Christ alone, even if you lose it all, is the right posture. Now, we can all say amen to if we lost everything, we'd still have all we need in Jesus Christ. We could say amen to that, but, but, but could our lives say amen to that? If we lost everything and we still had Jesus Christ, could we be content? That's the way that Paul lived his life. In Philippians chapter four, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through a million dollars that gives me strength. I can do all this through money that gives me strength. I can do all this through having a very large bank account that gives me strength. No, I can, give, I can do all this through him, through Jesus, through Christ alone that gives me strength. Friends, are you depending on God or are you depending on your fiscal life? Are you depending on money? What is the source of your worth? What is the source of your security? What is the source of your contentment? Money can't buy you happiness. Money can't buy you love. Money can't buy you peace. Friends, there's a thousand songs with that as the mantra and the title in the songs, and we listen to those songs all day long, but we don't really listen, right? Money can't buy you. Can't buy me love, right, right? We, what a great tune. That's incredible. We ain't listening to the message. We listen to the song, but we live like the song doesn't exist. You see, it's all about surrendering control. When we surrender all that we are and all that we have to God, then everything in our life no longer has a grip on us, but God has a grip on everything in our life. And when you allow, when you allow God to have control of your money, money loses a hold on you. 
When you let go of the hold on money in your life, the hold of money lets go of you in your life because you give it to God. Then you're able to work for God with all of your heart, and earning money without chasing it becomes a reality in your life, which is completely countercultural, friends. Then God can use the money you're earning to advance the kingdom. And if God is first, he will use your vocation as a ministry to get the glory. And what if you let God's love shape your purpose Wherever you are right now, how could God's love shape the way that you work, shape the way that you live, shape the way that you earn, shape the way that you treat other people? And how could God's love shape the way that you handle your fiscal life in difficult times? I say we find out. How about you? Here's a couple of action steps and we're done. I'm inviting the band to come forward. Number one, do you view your vocation as a ministry? That's a question, but let me give you a statement. Start viewing your vocation as a ministry. Friends, you are are God's living word. You are a living epistle. Epistle means a letter. You are a letter of God written to the individuals that you come around, your neighbors, and that's everybody. And God says, use your work to leverage my kingdom. Do you view your vocation as a ministry? It's time to start. You're now entering your mission field when you walk out of here, friends. Number two, when you experience a gray area, Keep your integrity. There are gray areas in business dealings. There are gray areas in the financial world. There are gray areas uh, in the corporate industry. But friends, there are no gray areas in the way that God calls us to live and to act in the way that we treat other people and certainly not in the way that we acquire what we earn in order to bless our family. Because if we do it deviantly, then we're really in the end not blessing our family at all. Number three, and then we're done. Take a step toward peace. Take a step toward peace. What is that for you? Maybe you need to take Financial Peace University. If you've never taken Financial Peace University, you need to take that class offered by Dave Ramsey. David Roop is always ready to lead another class. We just need to know if people are interested in it, and he'll be be willing to lead it. So let us know. Text to that texting number, uh, Financial Peace University or FPU, or let me know about it. Or when you see David Roop, you can't miss David. He's two inches taller than I am when he walks around here. And, uh, and, and, and so, hey, listen, so I, I want to take Financial Peace University because I want to find peace in my finances. Maybe you need to let go of your money and give it to God and start giving, or maybe you need to take your next step in giving or try the biblical tithe according to the way that God commands, and you'll find a renewed sense of peace in your life financially. What step toward peace do you need to take? Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we thank you for this message. Lord God, it's actually refreshing to talk about a taboo topic like money in church because we need to figure this out, God. And a lot of us, God, are trembling when we think about our bank accounts. A lot of us are concerned about the uncertain future. We're worried about the economy. Lord God, if they're like their pastor, they don't like going to the grocery store anymore because we just get all worked up about how expensive things are this day. Lord God, we just give you all that. We thank you for John Wesley. I thank you for colleagues in ministry. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this word that you gave a couple hundred years ago that John Wesley gleaned from Scripture. And Lord God, we pray that you would always help us to, to understand Scripture as a good Wesleyan Methodist does, Lord God that your word matters in our life. It's transformative to us, that, Lord God, you want to redeem us from all of our sin. You call us to live a life of holiness uh, inside our hearts and a social holiness to everyone else we come in contact with. Lord God, we thank you for his teachings on grace that came from your teachings on grace, Lord God, that you give us grace when you died on the cross and you've justified us, that you call us towards holy living the rest of our life, a life of sanctified grace, Lord God. We thank you for all of these pieces, and now, Lord God, we thank you for this sermon on how to handle our fiscal lives and how to earn in a way that honors you. 
Lord God, would you totally transform the landscape of our minds and our attitudes when it comes to money? Because Lord God, you're speaking to believers with this word here, Lord God, because many believers have fallen into the trap and caused themselves and people around them a lot of grief because we have treated money like an idol with love for it because we've worshiped it. And Lord God, we confess our sins to you. Here and now, Lord, turn us around and turn our minds around. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen, I wanna, I wanna invite anybody here, friends, to make your way to the altar during this closing song. You may have financial concerns. You may have other issues in your life, health concerns. I know some of you with health concerns are ready to come forward and be prayed over. I know members of our prayer ministry team are making their way forward even now to be here. We'd love to pray with you, uh, say, say a word of blessing of God and anointing over you, and trust God with the challenges in your life. So let's stand right now. Let's sing this closing song. And the altar is open as the Lord is moving, as the Lord is leading. Come forward and put your trust in him, friends. Put your